I'm Jeff Gibson. And I'm Shanna Paxton. And we are the, the Movie, Movie Lovers. Lovers. Welcome Hello. to the official podcast of the Gibson Review. In every episode, we talk about the week in review, what movies and TV shows we've been watching since the last episode, move on to the main event, which is either a main topic of discussion or a main review, and then finish up with film faves. Our favorite films around a particular topic, often marching backwards through time. In this episode, the main event will be a review of DC Universe's Shazam. And our film faves will be going back to our year-by-year backwards-through-time march. And it's my year! 1987. That's right! What a fabulous year. year. Fabulous! Because I'm here now. (laughs) (laughs) Is your birth year? Yes, it will be a lot of fun, and we will have a special guest during our main review as well. So, looking forward to that. But first, we have a short week in review segment. So let's talk about that, Shanna. You and I have not really watched anything independently, but we have watched a couple of things that we have a few thoughts on, yeah? Well, we are doing a lot of research for our documentary episode. So yes. that's taking up a lot of our time. That is for May. But we do have two things we'd like to discuss. Absolutely. So the first thing is, I don't think we've talked about this on the show before. That movie is 2007's Pixar film, Ratatouille. Of course, starring Patton Oswalt, Brad Garrett, and a host of other voices. So, we rewatched this uh, film recently with uh, our son, Logan. And I had a few thoughts about it, having not seen it in so long. Rewatching it now, I realize, first of all, the Skinner guy. Skinner is, I think his name is Skinner, if I'm not, from, if I'm not mistaken. He's like the the owner of the restaurant who took over after the the founder of the restaurant died. And he's made this into this big business enterprise where he's creating all these like TV dinners. Yeah, it doesn't really matter. But like he's taken the uh, what is the chef's name? Gusteau, I think. Gusteau. He's taken Gusteau's face and reputation Mm -hmm. and used it in tv dinners of all sorts like yeah burritos right the french culinary chef right with burritos right yeah so he's basically all about business and money and he's kind of become greedy he wants to retain control linguini the main the secondary character not the quite the main character remy's the main character he's a rat linguini is actually apparently a descendant or a fam uh, is basically family more or less of gusto and his existence threatens the ownership of skinner right anyway i set that all up to to illustrate i feel like skinner is your traditional animated movie villain right he's the guy that needs to be gotten out of the way taught the lesson the rightful owner needs to take over all that sort of stuff right and that's like the first three quarters of the film and what's interesting about Ratatouille that I really appreciate is, you know, most animated movies from most animated studios would stop there. That's the whole. That's the whole story, right? Mm-hmm. But Ratatouille, like a lot of Pixar films, goes even further by bringing in this character Anton Ego, who's a who's a food critic. He's he's mentioned briefly early on in the movie, but his part really comes in in the last. Uh, act of the film Mm -hmm. right 
he's like the emotional heart of the film, I feel. Like, he really sets the film over the edge and and is where, like, I'm moved by Anton Ego's part in the film, honestly. Yeah. Uh, do you have any thoughts? I think that this film gets... The first time you see it, it's like, oh, yeah, it's, it's good. But the more you watch it, the better it gets. I think this is maybe our third or fourth time watching it. It's really good, and I felt teared up a lot yeah you know this is this is a film about family too like family being there family not being able to be there it's all very very subtle work Mm -hmm. i feel nothing beats what happens later in the film so it's totally worth watching and sitting through oh oh absolutely that's definitely i wouldn't say that that's up for debate necessarily but it is interesting like 12 years later to revisit the film and reevaluate it too you know, apologize if uh, in my editing I'm not able to quite get it out. You'll hear our dog. Lady in the is contributing too. Lady is a Yorkie, and Yorkies were bred to hunt rats during the Black Plague in England. And so okay. we are talking about Remy <laughs> from Ratatouille. So maybe she's contributing. She's like, no, 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 no. Yeah, she's looking out a picture window right now where we record, and and apparently she's not happy with what she sees, so I apologize for that. At any rate, yeah, Ratatouille, of course, is a great film. Uh, I would say a really good film. I wouldn't necessarily say it's a great film, but it is a really good film, and it's really like Anton Ego, played by, of course, Peter O'Toole plays Anton Ego, and he really sets the the movie uh, further. So, yeah, very good film. Any other thoughts you have on Ratatouille? No, I think that everyone should watch it and, and give it a chance. I mean, especially if you watch Cars, you need to give Ratatouille a chance, Oh, for too. crying out loud. If you like Cars, then, you know, everything else that Pixar does is is going to be, like, blowing your mind. <laughs> I think Ratatouille included. I do like Cars 1. <clears throat> you th- do? I think that it's just fun. Oh, we'll have to leave it there. That will be a debate for another day. (laughs) Next film we caught up with was a film from last year. Yes, we still have a few stragglers from last year we're catching up with. This one was Old Man and the Gun from David Lowry, the director of A Ghost Story, which we have previously praised on this podcast. Old Man and the Gun is reputed to be Robert Redford's final film after a long career, and it is about a man who loves to rob banks he has spent his entire life robbing banks and escaping prisons he does get caught occasionally and occasionally being like 16 times and he has escaped prison so this also co-stars sissy spacek danny glover and tom waits which i really appreciate and love that cast and of course casey affleck who's a regular contributor with david lowry i feel like he feels like whatever david lowry does he'll be there no matter what yeah We've only seen a ghost story. We haven't seen Ain't Them Body Saints, which may or may not be David Lowry's first film, but certainly his first with Casey Affleck. But I could see why Casey Affleck would have such a great uh, relationship with this director. Mm. What are your thoughts, Shanna, on Old Man and the Gun? This was a very slow film for me. Mm. At times, I appreciated it being slow. Mm. And at other times, I was like, are we done yet? So the filmmaking is really beautiful and the production is lovely and I love all the the stars in the film and I love all their performances. Mm. I think it's just, it's a different pace. 
Mm-hmm. It's a very nice, slow-paced film. And it is a really interesting depiction of passion, you know, mm-hmm. passion for what you love doing. And one can go through life not knowing what their passion is, like mm-hmm. what they can't stop doing. Yeah. But like this is a good, de- and so you might not be familiar with that concept. You know, you might not be able to wrap your head around that concept. But if you watch this film, you're gonna be able to gain an understanding of that concept, mm. because he just he can't he can't stop. It right. thrills him. It excites him. It right. makes him live. You know, so uh, it's a great film to watch for that particular purpose. So you think it's a great film? I mean, it sounds like you're kind of lukewarm on the movie. Like you, I think you just you, have you to be in the mood. I think you just have to be in the mood for it. I was not in the mood when we watched it. Okay. Uh, and I didn't know what to expect because they kind of take all the action movement scenes and they put them all in the trailer. Mm. So it's, it's very funny. Um, one thing that I did appreciate was these little conversations that the three of them were having. Three, the three bank robbers. The three bank robbers. Danny Glover, Tom Waits, and Robert Redford. And it's like, it's three men. You know, they've they've known each other for quite some time. They they only get together for this. And they're sharing stories. And you don't get to hear the entire story that they're sharing, but it'll kind of just end like, and that's why I hate Christmas. And it's like, of course they're sharing little things like that, little personal stories like that right right yeah so i think i like the movie a little more than you i i don't think it's as great as a ghost story is but when i'm yes i'm seeing ghost story you know it gives me an idea of what to expect from david lowey and it, you know i would have been really shocked if this was a more traditional and quicker paced you know brisk keeper you know <laughs> that's not what i expect from david lowry okay. after seeing something like ghost story so i'm not I'm not terribly surprised that it is a little more low-key but i think there's a lot to appreciate while i don't think it's it's is as great a film i think you know it, it is something of a, a a bobble just a little bit less like substantial right but i think there's certain like compositions that David Lowry has and and the lighting too like the cinematography at times is done in ways that there's an artistry there's a craft to it, it it's it's totally unnecessary the way he does it and it, it, it kind of adds something to the film you know Robert Redford's great as always in the role he's he's you know this charismatic character who you know, he robs a bank, but every time he walks away, a person being interviewed by the the authorities is they never like are shaken too much. You know, they're like, "Well, he was a gentleman." You know, he was nice about his crime. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. I, I, and I appreciated seeing Tom Waits in, in. You know, I appreciate seeing him in anything, and Danny Glover too. These days, when they pop up, it's really great. So, but I enjoyed it, and I enjoyed it, it has this odd, this uniquely like early seventies, late sixties aesthetic to it too. You know, through the titles or other things that I thought was an interesting touch. I I don't know if it's necessarily just to be a callback to. Redford's earlier career or what? It does feel a little honoring. It yeah. is is it's lovely. So I thought I thought Old Man and Gun was a lovely film, probably like a seven out of ten. 
not a great film, but definitely a nice addition to Lowry's career. And and you? Um. Yeah. I. I'd maybe be a six. Yeah. All right. So that's the Old Man and the Gun from last year by David Lowry, starring Robert Redford. Now about do it for our week in review. Now it's time to move on to the main event, which is our review of Shazam. Shazam. Daily bats. I choose you as champion. Say my name so my powers will become yours. Shazam. Wait for real. Say okay. Right? What are your superpowers? Superpowers, dude? I don't even know how to pee in this thing. This is proof of authenticity. Super strength. Electricity manipulation. Hyper speed. I'd like to purchase some of your finest beer, please. Sparkle fingers. No, it's not. It's not my. That's not my name. Chosen one. Oh, you're like a bad guy, right? You literally did the opposite of what a superhero is supposed to do. You're him. You're the hero. You're welcome for not getting robbed. I'm Batman. Get him back in. How old are you? Basically, fifteen. Electrocuted a bus and almost killed these people. And then I caught it! And leave tall buildings in a single bound. <laughs> and that was from the trailer to Shazam! DC and Warner Brothers' latest efforts in their superhero series. Whenever we have a main review, what we like to do first, for those who are not familiar, is first talk about the good. What mo- What is it about a movie that worked well for us? Before we then move on to the bad. What didn't work? What sort of flaws were there in the film? And then we move on to spoilers for those who have seen the film. A little more in-depth discussion about the movie and our final thoughts. So... We have today, I also want to mention, this is a bit of a family podcast today because we have a special guest, I think maybe for the first time ever. In second? Second time. What was the first time? Do you Black remember? Black Panther. Black Panther. Okay, very good. So this time we have our uh, son returning, Logan. Hello, how's it going? Very good. Thank you for joining us. It's a delightful surprise to have you join us for this review. Shazam, as I mentioned, is DC's latest film, of course, in the series, including Wonder Woman and Aquaman, Man of Steel, all those sorts of things. And in this film, it is about a 14-year-old foster kid who has bestowed upon him the magical powers of several gods, right? Several wizards, making him Shazam, this 
powerful dude who's super strong, who can move really fast, and has various other powers, including electricity. It's like big, but you're in a superhero body. Right. Now, yeah. he's not he's not this character all the time. He has to say the magical word Shazam, and he turns into the character or, or goes back to himself. So, first of all, I guess I will start out by asking you, Logan... And you've seen most of the DC films, right? Since Man of Steel? Yeah, I guess, was, yeah. Was there any you haven't seen? Uh, yeah, Batman vs. Superman. And you're doing just fine, I think. Oh, good God, love. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm curious, just as a segue into this, how does Shazam measure up to the rest of the DC films, and what did you like about the movie? I really liked it. It's really good. It wasn't as good as Man of Steel. I really liked Man of Steel. Okay. Do you think Man of Steel is the best of the series? Oh, no. Probably not. Wonder Woman was really good, too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think that's my favorite DC movie so far. Okay. And what did you like about Shazam? I really liked his costume. The red with the lightning bolt and the uh, white cape with the gold uh, stitched into it. That was really right. nice. Very good. Anything else? I thought there were some really good jokes, mm-hmm. but I won't mention those until later. Okay. I think that the foster fa- the foster parents that he lives with mm-hmm. are very nice. Yes, let's see. Actually, I recognized one of those cast members. Did you also recognize the father, Shanna? Yes, he is from something. Cooper Andrews, I believe, is his name. And I'm trying to see... Oh, Marta Melant is are the parents. Cooper Andrews is the one in particular... I recognized, oh, he is in The Walking Dead. That is why. Oh, that's right. I'm, I, all I can see is him with, like, armor on, yeah. supporting someone else. And now, I rem- now it makes sense. There yeah. you go. There you go. <clears throat> Carry on, Logan. Anything else you liked about the movie that you thought was good about the film? I liked how they videotape his failures in him making or trying to figure out what his powers were right right which we see in the trailer yes yes yeah. mm-hmm yep absolutely uh, the flight test that was real funny mm-hmm mm-hmm yeah what what about you dad well you i'm gonna actually move over to shanna and hear some of her thoughts shanna first of all where does this fall for you in the dc films are you a fan of the dc films in general and what did you think was good about Shazam? I'm always curious about superhero films. I'll always go watch a superhero film mm-hmm. to, to see if it's any good. Uh-huh. Yep. This, to me, is like maybe it's Wonder Woman first and then Shazam. Okay. And then Man of Steel and okay. then Aquaman and then Batman v Superman. Yeah, I think you and I are right in step there. It's kind of cool to see the whole family's actually supporters of Man of Steel overall, which is a heavily derided film on the internet. And probably get uh, you know some people who will switch off or whatever. Just like, what are these people thinking? They have no credibility. Yeah, well, but yeah, we we like Man of Steel. And I also but. think that it, you know, in the if you compare it to Marvel, I think this is their Guardians of the Galaxy. This is their the fun Shazam one. is yeah. 
Okay. This is their fun one. And it's such a great story about yearning and the journey for finding your family, mm-hmm. whether they're blood or not. Okay. And good point. Also, that is a good parallel to Guardians, And also actually. where you belong. Yeah. You know, like, who do you belong with? Who do you belong near? Near. That was a surprise to me. I didn't think, I think this, I think I thought that this was just going to be a whole lot of fun, like mm-hmm. a teenage boy and a, in a grow like a really grown, super terrific yeah, grown body, up body. Yeah, yeah. you know, and I, I really did. I think it was going to be, I thought it was going to be big, yeah. but with superpowers. Mm-hmm. So like the movie big. Yeah. And it is a way, in a way like that. Yeah. We can get into more detail about that. I quite like the music selection. Whenever you hear Queen uh, during a montage, Mm. um, it's always going to be exciting. It doesn't matter what Queen song it is. (laughs) So I love that. I love the cost of practically everyone that was chosen. I loved seeing everyone in it. Mm -hmm. And it made me really happy. I am trying to think I... I love the depiction of unconditional love and care and empathy mm-hmm. that can come from people mm-hmm. that are not your biological family. Mm-hmm. And it's something that, you know, I think our generation grew up realizing like that might not be a thing. Or at least I did. I didn't know that someone that was non-biologically related to you could love you unconditionally and fight for you. And this film you know, with the incorporation of foster children, foster homes, does a fantastic job of depicting that part of society that doesn't actually really get depicted that much. And Mm. I love that we get to see that. Mm -hmm. That's So you've got, you know, supernatural superpowers and then you've got real superpowers, Mm -hmm. like caring for those around you. Mm. Mm Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I will say that I pretty much am just like you, Shannon, in terms of how I would rank the DC films so far. I feel like this one and Wonder Woman are probably up there as far as far as the best. I feel like Wonder Woman had more third act issues, and maybe Shazam has more first act issues, but. I uh, I feel like those two are definitely and then and then Man of Steel I would put right under there, and then Aquaman is a distant fourth for me because I feel like that's a really mediocre a very mediocre movie. We reviewed that film. We had a lot of issues with it, and then you have like Suicide Squad, which is like an, an a '90s you know. Oh gosh, you see that didn't even make my list. <laughs> right, yeah, I Whoops. feel like that's like a '90s conventional like superhero movie mm-hmm. you know like it would have been acceptable if it was made in the early 90s or something like that today it's just like oh god it's so average and then of course batman v superman which i think is awful so shazam is is first of all i think there's a lot of good to mine out of shazam there's a lot of surprises in shazam it is a little bit it offers a little bit more than what the trailers do show you I will say, like, I expected Mark Strong's villain to be a very generic, bland, uninteresting supervillain based on the trailers. And there is more going on to him than what you expect. And that's good because Mark Strong is a good actor. I'm glad that, you know, there is more for him to chew on and that appealed to him as a performer in this film. I feel like... Going through my notes here. First of all, there's 
there's a lot in this film about how parents are depicted that I like to get into more details later. Mm, that yes. is really kind of interesting because you see parents who are kind of hateful. You see parents who are not disinterested, but who become absent. You see parents who love and care. And there's, there's interesting, like, there's a nurture argument in this film in a way and how important parents' roles can be in someone's life, right? And how they how it can help shape them. I think this film has some interesting thoughts on family versus taking care of oneself and being a loner and independent. I think that one of the joys, I think, or... or not even just joys, but really smart decisions this movie makes is it takes the concept of what if a teenager had all of a sudden had the ability to become an adult, an adult with power. <laughs> what would they what do? Would they do? Yes. <laughs> what would they do with that? Right. What would that look like? And, and so I think there's several talking points through this film that we can dig into a little bit. I think what's really surprising in the film is it's at times very dark and very scary. You know, you could argue maybe it, it's challenged with tone, but I think it has an interesting balance of, of dark tones and light tones. You know, at times the movie's very uh, fun and enjoyable and fleeting, and at times it's actually very disturbing. And I think that, that that's interesting as well. I do think that the film stumbles a little bit in the first act, but then like the third act really like pops. It really takes off. It's probably its biggest strength is its third act, aside from some of the themes and the things that it's 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 deciding to take on that that add a little bit more than you might expect to the film. And of course Zach Levy, who who would have known when back in the day he was playing in what was what was that show called Geek or Spy or Nerd or whatever it was where he was the Buy More employee? Oh, that's who he is. Yes. Oh, yes. it's Chuck. 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 Yes. Okay. Yes. Sorry. I I'm want... like looking at his freaking face, and yeah. I'm like, who is this? And I keep thinking Jimmy Fallon, and I'm like, no, that's not right. No. And... Right. Yeah. No. Zach Levy. <laughs> they yeah. could be brothers. <laughs> right. Yeah. Who would have thought back when he was in in Chuck that he would eventually end up being like. This epitome of perfect man, you know, <laughs> and this, this this depiction of strength and everything, right? Yeah. But, you know, at, at the same time, you do get a little bit of that check performance of that, like, gee whiz wonder, too, yeah. you know? Yeah, Which is kind of cool. It, it's it's very interesting casting, uh, I, I think. So The nerds will inherit the earth. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> And the guy who plays Freddy, who is the disabled foster kid you see in the trailers, he's actually a major character in the film. Jack Dylan Grazer, I'm not familiar with him, but I feel like he's a strong point of the film as well. There's, there's, they mine a lot out of him and his character too. And he has, he's given a couple emotional moments as well. So I think there's a lot, actually, to praise. Now, do I think it's one of the best superhero films of all time? No. But, you know, and, and it is getting a lot of praise on Rotten Tomatoes. It's got like a 93% of, of all things on Rotten Tomatoes, which puts it above a lot of films I think are the best, among the best superhero movies of all time. But it is definitely a, a solid and really good one. Okay, so we talked about what we liked about the film. We're pretty positive about the film. Was there anything, Logan, that did not work for you 
without getting into spoilers, generally speaking, anything that was bad about the movie? I really did not like the costume of the villain. I did not like that. Interesting. What didn't you like about that? He's basically just wearing an, a tight overcoat of some sort, right? I feel There's not a whole lot to it. Well, he has this weird collar thing going on, too. Mm. Yeah. Okay. I don't like that. That I kept on looking at that throughout the film that distracted from his cool makeup and stuff, but... It's cool makeup being a wounded eye with a scar. Yeah, and it's blue. It's it's blue, Dad. Right. He has How a, often see, do you see a blue eye? He does have a blue eye. I'm looking at a picture of his outfit right now. It's a overcoat with a kind of a furry collar. And you're not a fan of that? Yeah, no. Okay. <laughs> okay, so his face looks amazing. Okay. But it's hard to look at his face face when when there's that furry thing around his neck. That's so interesting because I feel like the opposite. I feel like his look is so drab and bland that it's his face, his bald head, his scarred eye, and you know his blue, which he gets a lot of power from this blue eye. And we could talk about later. That actually is the thing that draws the attention. To disagree with you there. Yeah, interesting. What else uh, did you not like about the film, or um, didn't work for you, or thought you thought was bad? Hmm. I didn't like that Billy Batson locked a few cops up in the very beginning. Really? That what, what was it that okay, you had a problem with that? That was funny, but I mean, he freaking he tricked the cops. Uh huh. And you, you're supposed to trust and love the cops. But why was he doing that? He was doing it so that he could get in, uh, get their car and their computer so that he could right. access... Oh, yeah. Because there's absolutely no other way you could possibly look up someone's address, right? <laughs> yeah, I guess not. <laughs> oh, I mean, I'm, I'm being facetious. At any rate, I, I can kind of see where you're coming from j- just on this, the, the angle of like, well, that's a very contri- convoluted way to try to get somebody's address. You know, there's, there's surely easier and less, like, um, risky ways to go about that. Yeah, of course. You could just, like, ask the cops where this person lives, but that might seem uh, a little weird. Yeah, they can't tell you yeah. that. No, I mean, you know, you could just... This is, be- this yeah. is what happens yeah. when the yellow books go away. <laughs> the yellow and white pages. Right. The address books. That's what it is. The phone That's books. That's what it's called. The phone, the phone books. books. This is what happens when we don't have phone books. Right, yeah. Yeah. Anything else, Logan, that bothered you about the movie? I don't think so. Okay. Well, Shanna, what for you was the bad in the film? The bad was the villains. Interesting. The manifestation of the seven sins. Uh huh. Which to was set up, not pleasing. Yes, we should explain. There's seven deadly sins that are in, like, their statue form, a la Just Ghostbusters. Just like Ghostbusters, right? <laughs> yeah. In I don't know what this place is, but it's where in the, the temple wizard in temple. Thank you. Where the wizard, played by Jamon Honsu, has been waiting for possible uh, uh, what do you champions, you mm-hmm. know, to take on the Shazam throne. Yeah. Come in, right? They get let loose by Mark Strong's character, and they are these like ugly creatures, essentially, right? That turn into smoke and they come from the eye that, that this blue orb that 
gets sucked into his eye, essentially. They can be released and captured upon his will, yes. I think. But I did not like the manifestation of them. Okay. And their mouths do not move, and I'm okay with that, but then why are their mouths open all the time? And just a little bit about it, like, I feel like they needed more work there. Mm. Um, You're talking about in terms of the CGI? Or the, no, the, like the, character the design. design. Okay. I feel like they needed to go through that again. Yeah. It's exactly what you said. Like, it made me think of Ghostbusters. Like, those dogs make sense, you know? But yeah. the Seven Deadly Sins, they do not make sense. They just look like... Here's what it looks like. It looks like they went and researched gothic statues <laughs> and decided, hey, this is great. This is good enough. This is what we're going to do. It's just, it's something about it is just a little off. So here's the thing. I think there is, for what they are, there is a creativity in the designs, in how each one looks different. However, I will agree with you. While I don't think it hurts the film too much, I will agree with you that nothing of the creature designs really makes you understand which is which yes right the only one is gluttony well like that's the easy one to depict all the time isn't it (laughs) right right you know it's like a big ball and then there we go so well it's it's definitely more portly and and rounder than the others right well yeah so yeah and also i will say that sometimes the cg rendering of them this thing looked slightly aged on its premiere night right like and imagine how it's going to go over the years you know there's the way the way it looks with the the way the cg interacts with people sometimes you can that's when it looks like cg creatures and so you know there you know mm-hmm. it, that that is a weakness I, I, yes. I will say this will pull down the age of the film yeah does yeah. it wreck the film no but that, did right. they need more work on it yes Right. So, yes, I, I I hear you there. Was there anything else that was the bad for you? I'm always sensitive to how women are depicted in film. Yes. And there's a couple characters in here, female characters in here that make me rather upset because they're fairly disposable. And hmm, uh, that made me quite upset. And I was like, oh, OK, this is boy power, you know, and the women are just going to be left to a side. But it saves it later. Mm-hmm. So we've got that. That's interesting. You have to understand, like, as a woman, I'm sensitive to women in film being used in such a way that they're disposable to move the male character's arc along. Okay. And that happens That happens in this film. With one of the characters, yes, I could see that. That's actually something worth talking about in spoilers. Perfect. Let's move on. As it, as it also applies to the themes of the film, too. Mm. I feel. Uh, was that? Was there anything else you wanted to speak to? No, in this let's section? let's go ahead. Okay. Well, uh, I, let me speak to a little bit of what what I thought were issues with the film before we get oh, into spoilers. Oh yes, we haven't heard your issues. <laughs> Two or three things. The main one is that I do feel like the first act does stumble a little bit. There's certain things that happen. You know, there's certain things that are a little more cartoonish here and there than. I don't know, necessary or, or as it suits the rest of the movie. I really feel like the movie gets stronger as it goes on. But in the first act, there are a couple moments that, you know, it's like, eh, that, you know, this is definitely bordering on what you'd see in a quote-unquote, like, 
lesser kids movie. It, it just, you know, a little bit cartoonish. One of the parents is cartoonishly evil, practically, you know, in the first couple scenes. You don't really get a sense as any like sense of reality of wow, why are you behaving the way you are? And, and there's a couple other moments that, like in the temple and others that, like, hmm, I'm not sure. Bigger issues though, there are. You should know going in the movie, there are two credit scenes, and they follow the Marvel method where one is supposed to be significant towards an overall story. And one, one is a joke. Yeah. First of all, we're not fans of putting the making us wait 10 minutes for a joke. You know, the, we always feel like the joke scene should always be first. And something that's significant should be louder. So we're, we're not a fan of that. It's interesting that they're following the Marvel method there. It doesn't work for me in this case. And, and maybe part of it is I'm not that familiar with Shazam. But I really didn't feel like either one was all that worthwhile. And we can talk more about them if you want in spoilers. But also, the other thing is, this movie, in a way, like with all the issues of Henry Cavill as Superman and Ben Affleck as Batman, in a way, this movie sets it up to where we're leaving those characters in the dust. But then it tips its hand at the very end in a way that in- includes at least one of those that I just like, oh, that's such a missed opportunity. Because you literally have a scene where a kid is playing with Batman and Superman and he sees Shazam. And he just drops them. And that could oh have gosh. been perfect representation of what this series is going to do. Right? That's very cool, yeah. But... It, it tips its hand, unfortunately, and becomes a little too, not reverent, but a little. it feels like it needs to tie too much to what we've already seen. And it's unfortunate because the series in general is a mess in terms of if we're talking about cohesive, co- cohesive storytelling, if we're talking about continuity, this movie, this series is a mess. And it's basically like a bunch of random movies at this point, right? But this movie tries to still stick with some sense of continuity. And it's like, just forget all that. You have your Superman, more or less. Like, Captain Marvel, who is the original name of Shazam, he's always been similar to Superman, right? So why not just, like, let Shazam take over that role if you want there to be a series and just, you know, let it be? So that, you know, that's another thing that I wish the movie hadn't done, that, that it, it does do. But So before we move on to spoilers, let's go around the table here. Does the good outweigh the bad? I think absolutely. Yeah, it does. Excellent. I think the film is great. And how would you rate the film out of 10? Probably an 8 out of 10. 8 out of 10. High praise from Logan. Shanna? Does the good outweigh the bad? How would you rate it? Yeah, it does. I would maybe say seven or eight. It's a little, maybe seven and a half. Seven and a half for you. Seven and a half will make me happy. Halves are my favorite. Okay. And for myself, I also say the good definitely outweighs the bad. It's not a perfect movie like all these DC movies. I probably have the most issues out of all of us, it sounds like. I give it a 7 out of 10 as well. All right, so now, from here on out, we're going to talk spoilers for the next several minutes about the film. If you haven't seen Shazam yet, then definitely check the timestamp to skip ahead to the film fave segment. But we will be beginning 
to discuss spoilers now. All right. So, spoilers for Shazam. Who would like to go first? Not I. I uh, me. I want to go first if I can just talk through my dog's head over here. Okay. So, <laughs> yes, our dog gets to be on the table because like parents of children, we just need to get this done. So, I w- was not fond of the scene where the seven deadly sins came to support Mark Strong's character at a board meeting. Oh, you weren't you didn't like that to, scene? Well, let me tell you why. Okay. I'm just saying this is the scene I'm talking about. And here's what I did not like. Okay. I did not like that there was no blood. Here's the thing. Oh. I know the audience, you're like, you're not sure what your audience is gonna be. It's probably gonna be like kids and, and then up. Right. But if if you're going to kill other humans with evil creatures in a particular way, then you need to commit to it. So if the creature is going to bite the head off of a person, mm. there needs to be blood. It's as simple and plain as that. Mm. Commit. If, if you know, there are so many other ways that, you know, okay, well, we're going to have audi- young audience members. We should consider different methods. Like a method could be, well, we're just going to swallow the characters whole or we're going to suck their soul out and then, they were, that way there's no blood, mm. you know? There, there's so many other things they could have done and committed to it, but, I, like, I am very sorry or not. Uh, you guys <laughs> messed up because, yeah, so. because here's the thing. I saw there were a lot of chewing and scraping and pulling and with claws and things. I mean, one character sure. shows us his needle fingers, you know, right. later on in the film. And there's no blood whatsoever. And there's no, I don't think there was even any torn fabric. So hmm. it's like, no, you guys messed up. <laughs> That's interesting. Uh, if you're going to throw someone out the window, but you're not going to show the blood of someone's head being chewed off, you guys are well, like let's, let's, one foot in, one foot out. Okay. So first of all, let's be clear. You don't see the head get chewed off. You don't see the head get attacked. You see, like, the, the the framing is essentially from the guy's elbows down, right? Or it's less, about to happen. To his toes, right? Yeah. You see the, the body go limp. Now, I'd actually disagree with you here because I feel like the film is dark enough with those scenes. I, my jaw was actually on the floor. I was a little surprised to the extent that it went. You know, you even have the first moment that we have that's like, oh, my gosh, this is actually kind of horrifying, is when a scientist touches a door mm. and all of a sudden she dissolves she doesn't dissolve in an avengers infinity war sort of oh my gosh i'm going away kind of uh, thing she dissolves with a horrific scream you know like she feels it looks like she feels like she's burning alive essentially from the inside out right you know and then you have this scene where it's almost like the scene in dogma where when the oh, uh, two God, angels yeah. slaughter now that seems like what you wanted <laughs> where there is blood splattering all over the place and <laughs> and that was that that was also a, a comedic movie and that was really dark for a comedic film but that film already had kind of an R edge to it this film it's about a boy being able to be a superhero we don't need blood gushing all over the place it no. worked for me. It worked as is. It was very effective, very shocking, very strong, and showed the stakes, so to speak, or what what these 
things and what Mark Strong is capable with these things. Logan, do you have any thoughts about it? I feel like it was fine the way that it was, but okay. So they he says at the end of that scene, uh, that little bit there, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. he says Greed can have his dad. So right. I feel like they should have let the left the dad alone because I mean he's already has lost. The uh, the ability to move his legs. Oh, but he's an asshole, so he had to die. Yeah, I I mean, I I, I agree with Shanna there that this is like a a a character that's you know has been told by his father time and time and time again throughout up to age like I don't know he looks like he's forty two or something (laughs) maybe forty five right right yeah like no he's worthless (laughs) he had to go yeah yeah. (laughs) I, I will say though it's worth mentioning and noting how gr- how cool it is to an extent to have this winking reference with John Glover playing mm-hmm. this corporate father figure uh, who's a, a, also a bald you know father of a bald uh, child yes. right you know if anybody is a fan of Smallville you know you you might be able to catch on to that he is. Far more of an asshole in this movie. I was so pleased to see his face. Yeah. I was yeah. so happy to see him. Yeah. And I was pleased that he was an asshole. Because I was yeah. like, oh, but you're so good at that. So uh, he, the, I have more empathy for him in Smallville. In this film, he's just a black and white asshole. Like there's, and that was well, they don't have like, more time with him. Like, he's so. flipping out in the car to an, an, an extreme extent early on the film when Thaddeus, the villain, is a child, you know? Uh, and that was one of the issues I had. I was like, what the hell? We don't know if the mother died recently because we don't see the mother at all. Uh, so it's true. maybe the mother died and he's just super upset about that or something. But, uh, sure. Sure. We don't know. Maybe he died. Uh, she died in childbirth, giving birth to Thad. We've seen that trope many times in films, but that would have been a, a, just at least just a little bit of an indication as to why he's such an asshole <clears throat> and why the brother is an asshole too to Thaddeus too that that I could that could make some sense as to you know making sense of the character anyway uh, was there anything else you y'all wanted to speak to that that was a spoiler in the spoiler section I really like that they do reference Aquaman in the very end uh-huh. and there's appreciation there yeah you're talking about in the post credit scene yeah Mm-hmm. Where they're the like, mm-hmm. yeah, where they're testing to see if he can speak to aquatic creatures. Uh huh. That's kind of. He's funny. talking to a goldfish. Yes. Right. And he asks, "What? What good would this ability be?" And I mean, Aquaman could command an army. Right. Freddie. Freddie makes that argument. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's probably better ways to reference Aquaman, uh, you know, instead of making me wait 10 minutes for this, like, 30-second debate of whether or not Aquaman's cool, you know? Well, it's actually, like, it's the way it was filmed, it's as if it actually happened earlier in the film. And they thought, oh, we'll just throw this on at the end. Right. So what I wanted to speak about was the depiction of women in this film, the lack of them being there or not. So the one point is like what Logan mentioned, like we don't know what happened to Thad's mother, but she's not there. And Thad didn't turn out too good. So then we have Thad without a mother figure 
and a bad paternal figure and a bad brother. Nothing helpful. Then you have Billy, who we're led to believe lost his mother. Um, but she's still out there somewhere, but we don't know where and why or in what capacity she's in that she can't come and get him, mm-hmm. that she can't fight for him, that she won't fight for him. Mm-hmm. Here's the interesting part about that. One man becomes bad and one man becomes good despite the lack of their mother's love, mm. which let's admit like a mother's love is just as important as a father's love. But, you know, both of them, you know, you could argue don't have the paternal thing because Billy's father is in jail. He doesn't even know who oh, yeah. his father actually is. He's That's not right. interested in finding his father. He's interested in his mother. Right. So we have this depiction of woman. There's no mother for fad. There's no, there's no mother for Billy because where is she? And then we find out that she, she could not deal. She could not do it mm. due to whatever she was going through. She had to, she had to run away from her child, mm. essentially. So then we have the, the female scientist that is working for Thad and is striving to make you know headway through i can't remember what she was researching was like mental things that happen Uh, mass hysteria was her topic so something you know scientific and we could get something good out of that and she's the one that gets destroyed from the inside out after she Mm -hmm. calls him on his crap so she's disposed of and that did not give me a lot of hope for this film later we do okay you're forgetting a very important uh character Actually, you're forgetting several important characters. First of all, the foster mom. Like I said, later we get there. Do you want me to talk about that? I mean... I love that we have a real superpower mom. If anyone knows a a foster mom, you know that these are incredible women. Incredible. Yeah, and... That is a mother figure in in Billy Batson's life. Yeah. You know? And then you have Mary... You have Mary and Darla. Mary is awesome because you see Mary, she wants to chase after her dream, but she she loves her family so freaking much and she wants to feel okay about staying with them. And that was nice to see, being okay to stay with them. And then you see Darla, who is this wonderful uh, depiction of sensitive femininity and how powerful it can be in healing and love. Hmm. particularly with Billy's character. I mean, she's just a big, like, hug. Like, she just, like, all she she feels, right? Yeah. She loves uh, unconditionally and, and, and outwardly. And she's also got, she's a certain age where she can't keep any secrets. You know, she's an extrovert, right? But then she does good, and right. you just see this absolute level up satisfaction yeah. on her, and it's so great. Yeah. I think it's it's showing a, bal- a, a good balance of both male and female characters. The scene when Billy Batson finds his mom it is a, sort of a, a heartbreaking and unique scene you don't see usually, especially when it comes to reunion scenes, you know? Yeah. And I was really surprised by that scene and impressed by it, too. I don't think it's a bad thing to show a mom not be a good mom. Yeah, I think it's good. And I think it's also good to show a non-biological mom mm-hmm. as a good mom. Yeah. Because we don't see enough of that. We don't see enough of foster 
depiction in a good sense. Right. Yes. Now, let's use this as a way to segue into a brief discussion about what the movie does have to say about how parents are depicted and uh, thoughts on family versus taking care of itself. Because I feel like it really does, like, that's a, a core part of what this movie is, right? Is the importance of family. It, it, it is conventional in that sense, right? We've seen so many movies that's like the importance of family. You know, you don't go out on, on, alone. You got to have somebody in your life. You got to have a family in your life. You, you said earlier, that's what Guardians of the Galaxy was all about, right? Uh, right? A, a, bunch, a bunch of disparate characters You've being chosen brought together. your family. Yeah. Yeah. Right? And this film, you're right. This film isn't too different because you have that via a foster family and via one character, especially Billy Batten, who he's gone through his whole life running away from foster parents because he doesn't think that they're his real family. And he ends up learning that the, the woman he thought that he was his real mom isn't a mom to him at all. Oh, I love the depiction of how he interpreted his life at the carnival scene with his mom. Yes. And how she interpreted it. Yes. Two that was different so important. Perspectives, yep. Because you don't know what's going on in you a parent's mind. You hear the mind. same exact words. They're, mm-hmm. they're just framed in two different perspectives. Yeah. 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 And we, of course, we're led to believe the mom's perspective is the, the reality. And she does, I mean, and, and, you know, she gives him a prize. And years later, she doesn't even remember what she said to him. This thing that has been so important to him his whole life. You know, this this compass you know, directing him. Supposedly, direct, you know, he, he shows it to her and she's like, what is that? Oh, that was like more heartbreaking than her saying, "I essentially, I didn't want you. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't keep you. Right, yeah. So, yeah. That, that was, wow. What was that scene like? for you as you know as a you're younger so what was it like for you tell me all the feelings that was absolutely heartbreaking i thought he was gonna go and find his mom and be welcomed home with open arms but mm-hmm. no he found out that his mom didn't want him mm-hmm. which is absolutely terrible I feel like the mother should have, should have like let him in or something. Mm-hmm. Introduced him to the other person that is in the background that we hear. Who sounds like a fine gentleman, didn't he? <laughs> no, he did not. He sounded terrible, absolutely terrible. And you thought she should have introduced uh, that too? Well, still, I think it would have been nice for Billy to know who his mom was with now, because mm. I mean. I'd want to know. Hmm. You would want to know. Yeah. Like if you were Billy and that had been your whole life and then all of a sudden you meet your biological mom, like what would you want? I would want to feel like I was finally home or something. Hmm. But instead he was rejected and found out that his mom didn't remember anything about that day when he when she lost him but then what are your thoughts on well now he realizes who his real family is like what do you think of that did you buy into it did it work for you well yeah i mean i had a feeling that it was gonna 
come back or something to mm-hmm. them. Yeah. And, well, he did come back because he had no other place to go, except his only other path would be keep running. But I think he felt that it was better to just stay where he was with this family that he ha- had yeah, now. yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. Do you think he got a winning deal in the end? Do you think, like, there's a lot of hurt there still? Like, what do you think? Yeah, I feel like there is quite a bit of hurt there still. And I hope that they make another one and the mother gets to meet the new family or something like that. Hmm. Do you think she should still be in the picture? Yes. Because, I mean... Would you, would you want your biological mother out of the picture for the rest of your life? Well, you're saying that you would, no matter what she did. So even though she's not an everyday part of his life, it would be good to... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I feel like that'd be pretty good. You are a much better worthy soul than me. <laughs> 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 I would want to cut her out right. if I had discovered that. So right. you you already would be ahead of me in the receiving the Shazam powers. <laughs> <laughs> I think yeah. I'd use the Shazam powers for no good. So No good. Well, and that's what Billy does at first, right? He's 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 asking for money. He's showing off. You know, and trying to get paid for showing up. And then he's taking money for an a- from an ATM. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, like, yeah. Wait, what the hell? Right, yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, the, let's let's finish up here with one last thing I feel like we really got to talk about. Which the is sharing the powers? third act yeah! of the film. Where I it. really feel like the movie surprises and takes off. Okay, so there's this whole thing about power and... And Thaddeus wants the power of Shazam, even though he has power and he has power as far as he's concerned. He still wants the power of Shazam for whatever reason. If I say he's that already out, proved himself. Yeah, like, I'm saying it out loud. And now I'm realizing, huh, that is a flaw. But at any rate, he wants Shazam's power. And there's a whole thing like say your name and while we hold the staff and everything, pass on the power. And he gets rebuffed and quickly Billy has... All the foster kids who's who's stuck in this predicament in the in the end, the final act out of Carnival, a fight. Grab onto the staff and say his name. Now, of course, it's Billy. Right. It's really funny. They all say his real name. Right. But they don't say his name. And when they do, all of a sudden, all of them are, are, are champions. Right. They have similar costumes, different colors for each one. They're all adult versions of themselves. And and it has Mary Marvel. As one of them. And that's so cool, which I did not expect. When they said, oh, one of the foster kids' name is Mary, I was like, oh, my gosh, Mary Marvel. Maybe they'll, and I'm thinking in my head, okay, maybe they'll tease that for like a future movie or some shit like that. Not that they would have in the third act a way to cleverly bring that concept to life. And holy shit, guys. Well, this might not mean so much for you, Logan, but. Adam Brody, Shanna. Adam Brody is one of them. How cool is that? <laughs> that is so awesome. A lot of people my age, and maybe Shanna's age too, would know Adam Brody for the OC, who he played like this comic book loving geek guy. Oh God, that's right. In the show, yeah. and he's played similar characters. In so his he's adult the blue life. one. Yes, he is what that's Freddy why I turns recognize into. Him. And we haven't seen much of Adam Brody in several years. So to see him pop up 
and, and I didn't yeah. expect this. I didn't know that he was cast in the film or anything. It was this awesome surprise, you know? And he's probably the most well-known of all the adult figures, I think. Like, I didn't necessarily recognize any of the other ones. But it's so cool that he is he's in there. And on top of them all being, like, having this power now. That is so cool. Well, I love that they're all still kids, too. Yeah. And yeah. it's it's so fun that they carry that through. That's a very good performance right yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. true. It's true. She, uh, Logan, did you have any thoughts on that whole third act sequence? I, I thought that uh, they had certain powers more projected than... More dominant? Others. Yeah. Yeah. Darla, she's super fast. What's his name? Oh, dang it. Freddy? Yeah, Freddy can is already flying even before he knows what's happening. Mm. That was um, so cool. Then oh, the kid that doesn't talk much. What's his name? The uh, green one. Yeah, he. I think he talks more the most in that just that last part <gasps> than in That's the true. entire movie. That's a good point. Self-esteem boost right there opens that vocal cords right up. Yes, and his name is Pedro. Pedro. Pedro has super strength, and he punches that big... What was the uh, thing? What was, sin? Yeah, which sin was that? Who was knows? That... I also don't know. It's hard to tell. That's yeah. one of the problems with the design of the, the manifestation yeah. of the sins. I thought greed was easy to tell, but besides the point. Uh, he punches a big, bulky sin. Uh-huh, yeah. And then... Mary Marvel is uh, just intelligent. Well, what what does she have? What's her ability? I don't think well, it was truly revealed see, as much as the others. Whereas, see, I, th- I think your your perspective is interesting, and Shannon, you seem to agree with this interpretation. Whereas I thought they all had the same powers, just so happened to be that they were using one power first. You know, so I, I you know I couldn't tell you what necessarily Mary Marvel's specific power was as you interpret it because to me she had all the powers too everybody i feel had the same power but some were more projected yeah some were more dominant than the others Mm. like Mm. freddie definitely had the power of flight Mm. even though everyone else was capable of flying Mm -hmm. so and also how funny is it that scene when billy and thad are flying and they they have this standoff where Thad <laughs> goes off on this highfalutin, arrogant speech that a lot of villains make. And, and Billy can't hear him. They're just far enough away where he's he he just hears. He's like, what? <laughs> you know, and it just keeps cutting back to each one. And I thought it was really clever how they had oh like Thad's sin is envy. And so envy is always with Thad. Doesn't leave him. Yeah, oh. yeah. That's how he gets his power, him. right? And I thought that was interesting. Now I wish they went even further with that and tied it to the overall themes of the movie. Whereas Thad wasn't just envious of Billy of having power, but Thad was envious of Billy of having a family and surrounded by love. I wish, like, that is such an People easy people willing to fight for him. Right, that is yeah. such an easy thing for them to have, like, tied it all back and made it a real tight script in that way. But they mm-hmm. didn't. But they didn't do that, you know. And I wish they kind of. I wish they did. But it was still cool that that they did reveal. Oh, envy. He he is guilty of a sin too, you know. Mm. 
So that was pretty cool. We need to wrap up our review here. It's going quite long. Uh, final thoughts. I'll, we'll go around the table here. Final thoughts on Shazam. Logan? I really loved it. I think it'd be nice to watch it again sometime and see if I notice anything different. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like you could watch the movie again and again and you'd still notice different things. Very cool. Shanna? This was a very fun film. Lots of funny moments. Lots of true moments. Uh, lots of authenticity about family. Uh-huh. And what, you know, really expanding our minds about what family can be and uh, what it shouldn't look like. Very cool. I really enjoyed this film. I thought it was a nice surprise of the, of the spring season. Better than I expected it to be and definitely worthwhile. A nice nice addition to a struggling franchise. So That's a good point. Yeah, I thought so. <laughs> so that's our review of Shazam. What did you think of Shazam? Email us at thegibsonreview at gmail.com. Thank you, Logan, for joining us for the, our main event in this episode. I hope you enjoyed the discussion. I did, and thank you for having me. Excellent. Now it's time for us to move on to Film Faves. Film Faves is, for those who are not familiar, a segment inspired by a piece in the Gibson Review I used to do, wherein we count down our respective 12 favorite films around a particular topic, often marching backwards through time. We started with 2016. In this episode, we are counting down our favorite films from the year 1987. Now, part of the purpose of this whole thing is not only to give you an idea of our taste in movies, but also to help expose you, hopefully, to films that you hadn't heard of or seen before. And to that end, what we try to do is point you in a direction to when a movie is available to stream on major platforms. Our dog is running around here. I apologize. Doesn't she sound like Shirley Temple? Mm, Yeah, it's a lot of tapping. So we focus on Netflix, Amazon Prime, Hulu, and HBO Now. So let's get on with it. We With 1987, Shanna, boy, oh boy, we are in the 80s now, aren't we? <laughs> oh, God, there's so much happening, like whitewashing, blatant whitewashing. There's there's so much ill treatment of women. There's just, oh, my. Okay, well. Trying get, to break get, away from that, but You're getting suffering. a little heavy. This is not what I Am mean I? by okay. the 80s. I and mean, then there's really like, fun stuff, like really fun family stuff. Like, it's just so much silly. There's so much 80s. Big hair, outrageous outfits. Shiny cheesy, threads. Cheesy storylines. I mean, it Bad is, jokes. Right, yes, yes. <laughs> but at the same time, what a great year it was. I had... 30 films in consideration for this list. Part of it is because there's a lot of movies I grew up with, you know, and, but also there's a lot of, like, iconic films and prestige films and whatever that came out, too, in this year. Your birth year, Shanna. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit about what that year looked like. Shall it was we? an amazing year. It was. It. I was born. Yes, yes. <laughs> I brought much true. joy to the parents and a huge lack of sleep. <laughs> All right, Shannon, don't look. So the top five films, uh, highest grossing films of the year were... Empire of the Sun. Uh, Oh, come on, let me guess. I like it when I get to guess. No, it's not not Empire of the Sun. Not even in the top ten. Number five was Three Men and a Baby. Number four 
was The Untouchables. Number three was Fatal Attraction. Number two, this is, I mean, this is a completely different time. Number two was Oliver Stone's Platoon. And what was number one? Can you Harry guess? and the Hendersons. <laughs> no, not No, let me try close. again for real. Let me try again for real. That was just a joke. I don't even know if you've even seen this movie. Oh, well, then I'm not even going to try. But it is a sequel of a short-lived franchise. It is Beverly Hills Cop 2. No, man. Yep. That's awful. At $153.6 million, wow. it was the number one film of the year. A couple of things worth noting also about 1987. In May of that year, Starlog Salute Star Wars was held which was the first official Star Wars convention. I think it eventually evolved into Star Wars Celebration. It commemorated the franchise's 10th anniversary. The James Bond franchise celebrated its 25th anniversary and came out with The Living Daylights, which was one of my favorite James Bond movies. And let's see here. Oh, let's uh, the Academy Awards. Best film of that year was The Last Emperor by Bernardo Bertolucci. Have you ever seen that one, Shanna? I don't believe so. It is epic. It is beautiful. It's not a movie I love returning to. It, it, it's sometimes difficult to watch. So that was the film of, of that year. Unfortunately, the, the foreign film of the year was Babette's Feast, and I still didn't get to see This is a perfect excuse to see that movie. Still didn't get to see that one. Shanna, do you know also what Michael B. Jordan, Evan Rachel Wood... And Ellen Page all have in common? Uh, they're all like me. They're all they like you. They were born you. that year. <laughs> they were birth babies <laughs> with you. That's actually really exciting. Yeah. I like that selection. <laughs> I was just looking to see if anyone was born at or around your birthday. And unfortunately, it does not look like it. So let's get right into it with our number 12 favorite movie of the year and any thoughts you had about the year in general as well too, Shanna? I think this year was a little all over the place, but in a good way. And then you had these films that were about babies being thrust upon people that weren't ready for babies. And I don't talk, I'm not talking about, oh, we got pregnant, whoops. I'm talking about, here's the baby, bye-bye. So, really interesting. Mm, yeah, there was two or three movies like that, I think, that came out yeah. in that year. So, my number 12 is Dragnet. Oh, very cool. <laughs> du, 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 du. That's what that's from. And I was very excited to, to see what that was from. It's a really nice film. It's not a remake because it's based on the TV show that existed before it. Yeah, it's it's sort of an adaptation slash sequel because it acknowledges yeah. Joe Friday in, in the film. Yeah, but it's becoming its own thing yeah. as well. And I think that I'm totally cool with that concept. Mm. If, you know, you're you're going to, oh, we love this TV show. Let's, let's make a movie now, but let's honor what it was. Like, I am totally into that, man, mm-hmm. you know? And it stars Tom Hanks and Dan Aykroyd. And we were talking about how you don't see Tom Hanks like that ever again. This kind of goofy character. Right. Yeah. He's very loose in a way that you he became very serious in a way shortly after. Yeah. And I really loved seeing him loose like this in this in this movie. Even in like Turner and Hooch, he's like really uptight. Mm, so he's mm-hmm. going to be an uptight. 
Yeah. Um, anyway, this film, you know, is following this sort of, you know, it's police officer. Mm-hmm. L.A. It's, officers. Yeah, L.A. officers. So everything looks really grand and pretty. And because <laughs> they've got all the sets there. And they're following this mystery. Uh, you know, they're solving this crime and this mystery. And mm-hmm. that's all you need to know. It's really fun. Go watch it. Yeah, I almost had that on my list, oh. and once I learned that it was on your list, I because I had I had so many, I had to you know uh, let you just represent that movie, and I expected it to not age very well, but it actually is really fun and and does work still pretty well. So that's 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 awesome. I'm also starting off the 1987 with a fun comedy. This one is very much of its time, very silly, but I've always loved this film. I always grew up with it. We watched it all the time, and I always enjoyed it. It's called Mannequin, and it stars Kim Cattrall, Andrew McCarthy, G.W. Bailey, James Spader, and Estelle Getty. Is there anybody I'm missing there? No, I think you got... Oh, uh, uh, what's that? Mashak Taylor. Oh, okay, yes. Who does play a character of a gay person, but there's a lot of positive things about this person I think, like, could easily be overlooked. Like, he's very confident in who he is. I think at a glance he looks like a bad stereotype, but if you're sitting with it and you're actually watching it, he is this magnificently confident, Mm -hmm. high self-esteem being that i want to just be like <laughs> right right yeah. yeah no he's great andrew this is the, the one of the movies i know andrew mccarthy from and love oh andrew mccarthy kim cattrall is i always had a crush on kim cattrall in this movie of course she plays an egyptian princess who is granted by the gods the ability to travel through time uh, you know she gets to meet all the famous figures trying to find someone that she truly loves or is worthy of her love or whatever now, isn't and, that an interesting romance story right there well it is definitely out of the box and who does she land on not some famous figure uh, that she's name drops but andrew mccarthy a window dresser <laughs> in what is it philadelphia or something like that oh yeah anyway it's it's an enjoyable film it's silly love it fun film that's mannequin jenna what's your number 11 my number 11 is three men and a baby so there's these three bachelors that have a baby pushed into their lives and guess what? They're really good at raising this little girl, mm. uh, this baby. And they can be trusted and just step back and let them do it. There's so much that I love about this film because I am so, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful for diapers nowadays because y- the sticky tab is, is re-sticky. So if you get it in the wrong place the first time, it's okay. It's okay. Don't panic because guess what? You can peel it right back off and right back on right. and it'll be just fine. But the diapers back then were not like that. Like yeah. you have one chance, one time. And so I find it hilarious that it took them so long to figure that out. I don't know. Did you have diapers like that with Logan? I know I'm hopping no, on hot were, diapers, but... Yeah, but you, it's okay. No, they were they were much better. Oh, way, okay. But, yeah. but it shows those terrifying little moments with this little baby. And it's hilarious because 
none of these men these men are bachelors and they're right. having different women at the house every like night every weekend particularly and, ted danson's <laughs> character yeah and so you know she comes into their lives she totally changes everything for them and they're so great and it was they just become this new family so speaking of family that category is fulfilled yeah also worth noting a that it stars uh, Tom Selleck, Steve Gutenberg, and Ted Danson. And also is a remake of a French film directed by Leonard Nimoy, of all people. Okay, I will say this movie, like if you ever wanted to see montages, this is the film to watch because they have montage after montage after montage. That's so funny. I didn't yeah. even realize that. Very cool. Very cool. My next film my, is the only film on my entire list from this year that is available to stream, believe it or not. Oh, you're going to break my heart that it's so low. It is number 11, Harry and the Hendersons, <laughs> available on Netflix. I grew up loving this movie so much. We watched it all the time. It's, for those who don't know, it's about a Seattle family who, who, who encounters a Sasquatch, a Bigfoot, and brings him home and you know it has to hide them from everybody it's just one thing after another right it's so silly it's but it's so well done with john lithgow as the father of the family melinda Dillon as the as the mother of the family you have uh, what's her name laurie kazan who is uh, you know shanna as the mom from my big fat greek wedding i peel the potatoes she, she she plays the Snoopy neighbor. You have Don Amici, who's uh, in near the end of his career here. He plays a, a guy who decides to believe. M. Emmett Walsh plays John Lithgow's father, who just wants to hunt down. Everything's a beast, and, you know, he wants to play up the beast nature of things. And anyway, it's really cool because it's a Seattle movie, and so you get to, like, see Seattle locations in it. It's always just been a really endearing film, and it's got really great creature effects, too, and makeup from, not Stan Winston, Rick Baker, which is uh, really cool, and actually one of Rick Baker's favorite creations, too. So that's Harry and the Hendersons, and it's available on Netflix. It's a lovely family comedy I, worth, I recommend checking out. My number 10 is The Untouchables. Oh. Elliot Ness, a federal agent, pulls together a team to take down the... Al Capone. Mm-hmm. And who is in that team? Gangster. Well, okay. Well, you got Sean Connery. Yes. Yeah, I can't remember who else is in there. Oh, I, come on. I figured you were going to talk about this one. Kevin later. Costner. Yeah, Kevin Costner. And is in Charles there. Martin Smith. Mm-hmm. And a young Andy Garcia. It's so weird. I always forget what this film is about. Mm. And then I see what it's about, and then I totally freak the fuck out because I'm like, <laughs> I'm so glad this exists. And it's it's a really exciting film for me. There's a lot of really great scenes. There's really great performances. It's like you have to watch this film before you watch something like The Godfather, you know. Or you if you've seen Godfather, you really appreciate this film, mm. I feel. Mm-hmm. And, and it's worth noting it's pedigree, too. Directed by Brian De Palma, one of the only Brian De Palma films I love. And with a score by Ennio Morricone... It's a great, iconic theme that he created. Love it. And it has some really great, iconic scenes as well. as the one that is um, kind of reminiscent of the Battleship Potemkin 
scene way back in the 20s too with the stairs and and things happening on the stairs near the subway or not subways but the train station that is a great pick almost made it to my list because i love that movie so much and might be my favorite Uh, de palma film aside from mission impossible another movie based on a tv show that he did too so mm. awesome uh, choice there shanna my number 10 however still kind of steering towards these fun comedies which i feel like 1987 was really great for and you'll notice a lot of them on my list here for me it was perhaps my favorite joe dante film inner space starring dennis quaid meg ryan martin short and so many other great people in this film. You you basically have Dennis Quaid as this guy who goes into this experiment where he gets shrunk. He's supposed to be injected into a rabbit, and he's supposed to be able to do this fantastic voyage kind of thing where he's going through the the rabbit's body and you know studying it or whatever. But there is nefarious forces we learn led by kevin mccarthy the great actor of the original invasion of the body snatchers who want control of this technology and thereafter that little pod he accidentally one thing leads to another and through a chase scene a series of chases he gets actually injected into martin short instead martin short has never been funnier he's great in three amigos but it's second to his performance in this film it's such great physical comedy he but there's some hilarious scenes there's a scene where they have to change his appearance to look like robert picardo who plays a, another character in the, and the transformation scene it's all like physical comedy from martin short where he's just shaking his face around and doing these facial contortions laugh out loud hilarious scenes anyway inner space uh, i think it's less talked about now less aware and it's worth seeking out. It's my 10th favorite film in 1987. My number nine is Adventures in Babysitting. Ah, wonderful. It's, it's a great sitter film. A little crazy, but fun. There's no way this happens in real life at all. <laughs> but, you know, it's Christopher Columbus directing it. And so it, there's a lot of heart in it. And that's what matters. There's mm-hmm. a lot of heart and color and fun. And there's a, there's a little girl that's Sarah. Maya mm-hmm. Bruton, she is dressed as Thor. Yeah. And it doesn't matter. Thor's a boy. And I, I think it's a big deal because it's 87. Right. And the fact that she's doing that is pretty awesome. Never even really spoken to, like, not made a big deal of. Yeah. She just loves Thor. Yeah. And I love that she just goes for it. And it's it's really that's like the best part of the film for me is, really? is that little character. Aww. And the rest of it is just absurd, you know. How not to babysit, you know. <laughs> That's hilarious. That's hilarious. Uh, we might hear a little bit more about that movie a little bit later. But in the meantime, my number nine, it, again, continuing the comedy route, uh, this is Mel Brooks' last great movie, I think. His parody of Star Wars and everything sci-fi, Spaceballs. Starring John Candy, Bill Pullman, Daphne Zuniga, Joan Rivers... Mel Brooks, of course, and Rick Moranis. I love that man so much. There's is, is a, a huge, the cast goes on. It's a big cast. And it is such a hilarious look. Now, I, I, I rewatched it, and some of the jokes, like, they kind of fall flat or a little weak. But 
the concepts that he has in this film and the jokes overall still work almost as well as some of his earlier uh, films. I, I This is probably my third or fourth favorite Mel Brooks film. And it just, it's just, it's, it's a great skewering of Star Wars. You know, John Candy is, is fantastic as barf. And at the, the Mog, half man, half dog. Oh, you even have Dom DeLuise playing Pizza the Hut. You oh know? It's a, it's oh, a, I forgot about that. Yeah. It's so gross. <laughs> it's, so great. But it's great. These things yeah. are so great. There's so many things I could be quoting from the movie, you know? <laughs> and, and Rick Moranis is brilliant in it, you know? His ludicrous speed, that whole ludicrous speed sequence, you know? And he goes flying into the console. And he's like, let's take a five-minute break. Smoke him if you got him. And, you know, oh there's God. the whole, like, Mr. Coffee and Mr. <laughs> Radar. And then, like, they do the whole meta, like... You you know watch Spaceballs the movie and you know what you're seeing is now now and you know they don't they're, they're like it's it's hilarious it's so funny love the film and I I really do think it's Mel Brooks' last great film so that's my ninth favorite film of 1987. My number eight is Empire of the Sun. We <gasps> get... that's my number eight. Oh well, that's great. Oh I my was gosh! Just gonna say that one of the best parts is this is we see Christian Bale as a kid yep and he's a child an English child living in Japanese uh, occupied China China like yes. uh, it's very it, complicated actually is it Hong Kong or Shanghai it's maybe Shanghai okay but like I get confused about who's doing what and who's responsible for what but he right. essentially goes from concentration camp essentially to concentration camp is it a concentration camp or is it just a camp it's, a, it's, it's at the very least an internment camp or something. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, let's go with that. The internment camp. And they're not killing the British. Yeah, yeah. They're just keeping them in. Right. And it's it's a very interesting take on war. And it's kind of, it's pretty much all shot from Christian Bale, like a kid's perspective. Right. You know, and there's bizarre scenes like where things were taken from the English, mm-hmm. like wardrobes and mirrors and garments. And, and it was all just put, in like an athletic field like and a coliseum yeah, yeah and mm-hmm. you come across it and it is the most bizarre thing that you will see it's very eerie that is the scene that always stays with me that i always look forward to getting to when we're watching the movie because mm. i'm like will it feel different now yeah i recommend that film what, what do you want to say about it well, oh, the score is amazing. Yeah, I absolutely adore the score by John Williams, uh, Exalt Who Stay, and so many other pieces from this movie. It's one of my most cherished scores uh, ever, especially from a Spielberg film. And come on, like John Williams is, he's done all right as far as scores go, you know? But I, I've always loved that. This is hands down one of my three all-time favorite Spielberg films. I mean, I think we did a Spielberg list, and I think it, it must have come up in that, right? So I love this film. I've always loved this film since I saw it at an early age. I think it's so, so well shot. This is Spielberg getting a little more serious for the first time. You know, I don't think he tackled subject matter with this much maturity uh, before this much sincerity before and so his compositions are beautiful like how the film opens and how the film closes and 
you know, Christian Bale, you know, if you watch behind the scenes footage, there is like a huge set piece that involves planes and explosions and he's supposed to react a certain way and he blows the take. <laughs> that must have sucked so hard for Spielberg because that had to have been expensive, right? Um, it's a, kind of one of those things that you only get one take to do, <laughs> and he blows it. <laughs> anyway, John Malkovich and Joe Pantoliano. Oh yeah, John Malkovich is and, in there. And if you're an eagle eye, you'll see Ben Stiller is in the movie as oh, well. Oh yeah. So uh, it's it's a very moving film. You know, you have Japanese and British, and you know, there's the 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 people on either side of the fence. Uh, it's just I love 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 this film it has beautiful cinematography you know when the sparks are flying and them working on the planes and he's walking up to the planes mm. and you have that gorgeous score by john williams you're right there is fantastic cinematography here. yeah 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 no i adore empire of the sun i'm surprised it didn't end up high on my list but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm delighted that it's uh, we share the same spot in it so <laughs> that's awesome uh, what is your number seven is Good Morning Vietnam. Oh, very cool. By Robin Williams. I mean, not by Robin Williams. Yeah. It has Robin Williams. That is all. Go watch it. No, I'm kidding. Seriously, it's a great film about a DJ stirring things up on the U.S. armed services radio station mm -hmm. uh, in Vietnam. Yeah. And it's Robin Williams that gets to stir it up. And I mean, who better it's <laughs> perfect so go ahead and check that out yeah that's a that's a great choice Shanna. that's uh in and a great balance of humor and you know some some heart and heavy themes too my seventh favorite film however is not good morning vietnam it is going back to comedies again from 1987 the secret of my success starring michael j fox principally and richard jordan another film i grew up with you know saw it since i was seven or so and just for those who may not know which most people may not i don't know that this is a very well-known movie anymore but michael j fox plays a country boy who comes to the city to make a career and he first try he has an uncle a distant uncle who has a corporation in New York City. He's a big wig. So he tries to get a job with that connection. And of course, like Richard George's like Brantley. I don't know, Brantley or whatever. And he finds a job in like the mail room or whatever for him. And Michael J. Fox's character, Brantley, he decides to lead a double life where he's balancing, yes, he's got this mail job career. And he, he befriends John Penko, who a lot of people would know from the series Mad About You later on. But he also decides to lead this fake life as a corporate bigwig and somehow shakes things up in this corporation all the while avoiding his mailroom boss and avoiding his uncle and they get they get tied together because helen slater is in the movie i love her in this movie she's beautiful and gorgeous uh you know michael j fox falls in love with her and meanwhile she's having an affair with richard jordan meanwhile Auntie Vera, who I can't remember the actress, but she just passed away a couple years ago. I want to say it was Margaret something. She has the hots for Brantley, and he's like, "Oh my God, Auntie Vera!" <laughs> oh, it's it's hilarious. Just so so fun. Very much '80s. Very much of its time. This is the year of Wall Street. 
So it, it it's Oh god, I hated that phone. <laughs> oh, I hated it so much. Anyway, but this is also the year of Secret of My Success. And if you're not a fan of Wall Street, you can enjoy Secret of My Success. Yes, I think it's a lot better. of a very enjoyable film. So yeah. yeah. Next for you, Shannon? My next one is Baby Boom, which is available on Prime. A woman inherit more child, more child being pushed onto. Yeah. Whoever unsuspecting victims (laughs) anyway a woman inherits a child that affects her ability to make partner and she is forced to use her power as an entrepreneur to get through life later on this is a film by nancy myers it stars diane keaton Uh, we even get to see harold ramus and james spader who by the way james spader is a dick this year and this year he's just nasty yeah. and i don't like him nasty i like him as the protector anyway diane keaton's awesome and she's herself and it's again it's this how do you look after a baby or t- in this case it's more of a toddler no it's it's like maybe one like, year old like one and a half <clears throat> and then when you decide to take it on how awesome that can be and how it changes your life and it really helps you gain perspective it is important to note that it is co-written by nancy myers it's not directed by nancy myers it's actually directed by charles shire who shanna he went on to make the remake of father of the bride and its sequel after this i would like to watch the original father of the bride now i'm in the mood for that is it because that's you were a fan that was a really funny one and also Sam Shepard stars in that film as well. All right. So my next film is Adventures in Babysitting. Another film I grew up loving. The whole family loved. We watched it all the time. Don't fuck with the babysitter. You know, <laughs> love that. You know, that's a classic moment in the movie. It's important to note we have Elizabeth Shue in the film. As as the babysitter, and she's fantastic in it. Penelope Ann Miller, I believe, it plays the friend who's in trouble in the big city of Chicago, and that's she's the, really the reason why the whole group leaves their the safety of their suburbs and goes to the city and has their misadventures. But there's you know remember that there's also like the jazz or the blues club scene, uh, scene where oh, man I wish I had this up so I could give people credit. But they end up having to sing the blues in order to get out of there. Ain't nobody leave without singing the blues. <laughs> like, there's all these scenes uh, that are hilarious. You know, a play- Playboy plays a factor in the movie. You know, I'm watching this at seven years old. None of this is a factor, you know, a big deal. But, you know. No kidding. Right? This is the life of the 80s films. Yeah, right? <laughs> so true. So much happening that's inappropriate. I mean, kids. you know, it's, it's a PG 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 13 movie i don't remember but but you were not 13 no i was not but loved the movie anyway Mm -hmm. and it was it was so much fun and enjoyable it's delightful and did not need to be remade by disney thank you very much but you did not watch the remake Uh, because you don't fuck with the babysitter Babysitter. we're at the halfway mark okay uh my halfway mark is cry freedom with denzel washington and kevin klein this is all about the intolerance by a white-run government in South Africa during the apartheid mm-hmm. and the power that they exerted over anyone who was not white. So it's set in that time and it's mm-hmm. specifically about those elements being used on 
the white journalist and the black activist who is named Steve Biko, who was fighting for black rights, equality and freedom. And what, what is the journalist role in all that? Um, so Donald Woods is the journalist and he is forced to leave the country in order to get the story out about what's happening in South Africa. Mm. Because while this was going on, people didn't know. Right. What was ac- people outside of South Africa didn't know what was actually happening, and so Donald Woods was one of the people that got word out. Mm. Apartheid had been around for, I think, at least a decade. Only that much. It might have been two decades. Okay. I'm not really sure. Okay. And what's interesting is Donald Woods starts off as this racist asshole. Sure. And then he actually has a meeting with Steve Biko. And then he actually realizes, oh, hang on, the country that I've been accepting rules from this whole time, it does not have the people's best interest at heart. Well, it's more than one meeting, right? He spends a lot of time with Steve Biko. He does. But he starts to realize, you know, if your government, what what the government did was it it separated people from each other Mm -hmm. and dehumanized each other. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's very hard because what you have to do is you have to retrain yourself and you have to realize that people are people because for the longest time, Donald Woods thought, thought that, you know, they're the enemy and really they're not. Mm. So uh, it's a great film depicting that. And that film is directed by Richard Attenborough, who had previously done Gandhi. Spared no expense. Yeah, and he eventually would spare no expense in Jurassic Park. <laughs> My fifth favorite film of 1987 is Broadcast News. A Why is that so low? You know, it was number three. It was, I mean, it was in the top three for sure. Uh, but, you know, I rewatched it and it just didn't compare it to the following films. But I have always been a huge champion of this film by James L. Brooks. I love it so much. It stars Holly Hunter, Albert Brooks, and William Hurt, and, and, and uh, Joan Cusack, too. It is a very incisive look at news journalism. 30 years ago in ways that portend what were what was to develop 10 years later and become the norm now and it is fascinating you know it's a it's a great look it, you know at the time it's probably just ribbing a little bit but boy does it become one of the best films about news journalism and most insightful films about news journalism while also being a love triangle film too that spoke to me on so many levels back in my late teens years you know holly hunter is this career woman albert brooks is this guy who's also a journalist and they both feed off of the love of getting uh, uh something a story right and well made william hurt plays this pretty boy who didn't have to do anything to get his his, his tv anchor job basically and he freely admits it but he's uh, drawn to holly hunter and he's he wants to learn from her and stuff and so anyway great film deservedly has a criterion treatment as well and so it is my fifth favorite film of 1987 shanna what is your fourth favorite film my number four it's so cool it's lethal weapon Aha. the first one so we have spoken you know we're counting down the years and so we've spoken i think all the lethal weapons are on my list <laughs> i was just wondering i'm pretty sure they even are even number four i, I think, think is so. on your list yeah. because this is a very important franchise to me <laughs> <laughs> this and and the way i watched this franchise growing up 
So maybe from age 12 I was watching this franchise. Yeah, you did not watch it when you were born. No, when it came out. no. That's so cool that it's a birth year movie, though. Yeah. Uh, the beginning of a wonderful franchise I would love forever. It's my favorite franchise of a, you know, buddy cop theme. Well, I mean, <clears throat> I mean, it's one of your favorite franchises, yeah. hands down, right? Murtog and Riggs, it's the beginning of their relationship. They're this unlikely pairing till they gain understanding of each other and it's also a christmas movie but it's also a film that i forget constantly that deals with suicide it's such a beautiful friendship that blossoms through what they go through Mm -hmm. i watched this franchise sort of willy-nilly i always watched number three and then i realized there was a number two and i watched number two and then i'd go like two three two three two three four four three two one and so it was only after number four that i got to see number one that's that's what i had access to that is nuts and so i finally got to see number one and i was like oh my god this is dark yeah you know it is a really dark film even though there's a saxophone playing (laughs) you know that's also 80s score, defined. Yeah. It's that, the that saxophone. Is, that's very much a 1987 thing. At this point, we hear the saxophone mm-hmm. all the time. Oh my God, it never yeah. stops. Yeah. It, yeah. it could be happy. It could right. be sad. Oh, it it's could like, be mellow. Oh, sexy. It could be all action. Sort of yeah, yeah. It can be an action. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know. Like, yeah, yeah. You don't hear that anymore. Right, right. You know? Right, yeah. So uh, that is my number four. It's, it's, it's really a very favorite of mine. Very cool. Very cool. My number four is Dirty Dancing. Starring Patrick Swayze. Oh, that Swayze. made your list. Okay. Oh, you bet it did. It went ahead of broadcast news. Okay. It did. It did. <laughs> oh, Just, my God. And oh, you know what? You know what sealed the deal for me? Like, oh, oh this is definitely on my list. What sealed it for you? This is going to sound silly, but it, all it took was just the opening title sequence where oh my you have this fantastic 60s music going. I can't remember if it's Be My Baby or what. Over... This black and white slow dancing of all these people and these bodies just slowly grinding or whatever, doing these doing these different dances. This is the movie that made Patrick Swayze a star. Let's not forget, by the way. Uh, he starred in a couple things before, but his breakout was dirty dancing. That's one reason why it's been so iconic. You know, he did Ghost three years later and that, you know, really cemented him as as a sex symbol. But this movie was and he was a sex symbol. To get right down to it really quickly, not only does it have great songs, great dance choreography, a great uh, climactic dance moment, uh, which is iconic, by the way, cemented forever in cinema with the big, big dance move and everything. But you, you have a really great human that story too. That dance move is very difficult, by the way. Oh, I, oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. But you have a great uh, human story too, as well, and it's a coming of age story and growing up and having uh, parents accepting. You know, and not trying to control who you are and have expectations on who you are and sibling rivalry. There's a lot to it. So, I, yes. This is also a good film that shows why safe abortions are needed. And good. Yeah, I guess. that's how political I'm going to be today. Okay. <laughs> Go and yeah, watch that so. film and maybe you'll get, like, you'll see why we need to have safe abortions. So yeah. Legal safe abortions way to really weigh it down as i'm finishing up talking (laughs) i brought down the hammer but you know i was going to say the last thing is actually just a serious uh four four of the cast members four or five or people related to this movie have already passed away uh Mm. not just patrick swayze but the director has passed away one of the other uh two two or three other cast members have also uh, passed away since so at any rate it makes me feel old 
yes, but love it. It's Dirty Dancing. Okay, well, what is your third favorite film My of the year? My number three is Harry and the Hendersons. Really? Uh, available on Netflix. Lovely. I I watch this all the time. Really? Uh, all the time. Nice. Because it was so odd, you know? It's like, yeah. but I thought it was so comical that they came across something called a Bigfoot, you know? And I just thought, but that's not even an animal. That's hilarious. So the little kid in me, I think I had Did some... you know about Bigfoot? No, okay. no, I didn't know anything about Bigfoot. So okay. I was like, wait, there's an animal that looks like a, a human? Right. That's pretty right. fucking cool. <laughs> you know, uh, we, we also grew up with monkeys. Right. So, so many monkeys. Did you think that uh, Harry was a monkey of some I kind? I thought he was like, oh, well, he didn't quite, you know, evolve how we evolved. Uh, how humans evolved, you know. Oh, okay. So I was like, oh, well, he's just got more hair and he's taller. <laughs> you win some, you lose some. Okay. So when we went to on a trip to Mount St. Helens, all I could freaking think about was Harry and the Hendersons. <laughs> That's all I could think about. Living in Washington, yeah. I love this film so much more. I've always been a fan of John Lithgow. I think he's oh, yeah. an amazing person. Yeah. And... Like, you will look at scenes in this movie and you'll be like, yes, that was shot over there. That was shot over there. That's in Ballard over there. I also love the horror elements where, like, you know, Harry's walking around and he sees, he's trying to understand human life and he sees this woman putting a chicken in a boiling pot of water. And then he sees humans going into a jacuzzi and he's so horrified. He doesn't know what to do, but he's just, he's so traumatized. You know, he doesn't understand. And I think that that's amazing. Uh, really quickly, the soundtrack. I had the soundtrack on tape. You did? Loved. Loved we would have we been best friends. Love lifts those up where we belong by Joe Cocker. Yeah. And also love the the end credits um, sketches to animation sequence too. Oh, yeah. That was mm-hmm. so beautiful. I love yeah. when they're creative with their uh, credits. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, my third favorite film mm-hmm. of 1987 is a childhood favorite, my first ever PG-13 film. It is The Monster Squad. This is about a team of kids, like 12-year-olds, who discover they're the only thing standing in the way of a team of monsters threatening their community. And boy, this was awesome as a kid. And I remember... My mom rented this movie. She did not think it was one that I should watch. She thought I was going to run screaming out of the room. But boy, I chewed this up. I ate it up like you would not believe. The Wolfman in this movie is the best Wolfman probably I have ever seen in cinema. That, and yes, American Wolf in London's great. Yes, uh, Wolfman with Don James great. But there was something about this werewolf that was so, I don't know, badass. And the Dracula even, when there's a scene in the end when he's marching towards a group of characters and all these police are attacking him and he's just taking them down with like hardly any effort one by one. It's a badass scene and probably one of the most badass uh, scenes I've ever seen with a Dracula before. This movie's the, the the movie where we we learn Wolfman's got nards. There's just so many great scenes in this film, and I I just love it so much. There's you know it's not flawless. There's some things that you can think about and and poke some holes and see some issues, particularly as it pertains to a virgin 
character that has that is very important to the film and its resolution but i've always really enjoyed and loved the monster squad is one of the coolest movies of the 80s it's about kids saving the day so that is my third favorite film in 1987 my number two is broadcast news Oh, uh, the comedy of this film. The comedy is the best part. The hyperventilation of trying to get the correct tape to play oh, yeah. mm-hmm. linked up to a particular sequence yep. on the broadcast channel. I mean, you get to see VHS tapes. You get to see, uh, you know, inside the studio. You get to see things happening live right now. And I think Holly Hunter is a favorite, but also Joan Cusack, because Joan Cusack is the one that I'm talking about hyperventilating, and Holly Hunter is just trying to keep it together. Like, she is the thing that holds everyone together, no matter how crazy they vary from each other. Mm -hmm. You know, I also like the idea of this love triangle, and I love how it works out in the end. Mm. So it's a really realistic film. It's... Oh, it's so sad when people are losing their jobs and Oh um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because like something changed. What changed? What was the factor? I don't remember. Something changed in the industry. Like there was this shift uh-huh. that happened. Uh, oh, that's right. Like news was becoming more of this entertaining thing versus like truth telling and what journalism should be. Mm-hmm. So uh, there was this shift happening and they were they were focusing on doing that. Uh, instead so i like this film so much it's become a birthday month film where i will watch it no matter what that warms my heart because i introduced that film to you you did you did that's awesome that is really great my second favorite film of 1987 however is predator directed by the great john mctiernan and co-starring shane black but also, of course, starring uh, John, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger and Carl Weathers, uh, too. And I think there's a couple other notable names I'm forgetting right now. But this, I've spoken before when I ta- talked about the most recent Predator movie, how the concept and the creature design of Predator, I think, is one of the most iconic and most creative creature designs ever put to film. The the hunting culture that it's created, the equipment that it uses, the face, uh, the, the mask it wears, all of it is some of the most unique and interesting creature designs I've ever seen on film, and I've always loved it. This is, of course, the best Predator film ever made. I would say it's also one of the best action films of the 80s. Uh, it's it just it just slowly builds up to a ten little Indians aspect of the story of people being knocked off one by one, and it is it is gory, it is intense, and Schwarzenegger is awesome in it, and you know the famous uh, line "Gut to the chopper" that comes from this <laughs> all that. But anyway, uh, yeah, I love I love Predator, and it did end up being my second favorite film of 1987. Shanna, what? I am curious. If it's not Lethal Weapon, if it's not Harry and Anderson's, if it's not Broadcast News, <laughs> what is your favorite film of 1987? It's Witches of Eastwick. What? <laughs> Why? What? Wow. Because it has Jack Nicholson and then three amazing women. 
and who are they? Susan Sarandon, mm-hmm. Michelle Pfeiffer, and Cher. This is just such a fucking fun film. And what is it about? <clears throat> what it's about is these three women in this small town. All of a sudden, this mysterious man comes, and things start to get weird for these three women. Mm. They're all somehow like they want to be powerful. They want something different. And then as soon as Jack Nicholson arrives, he grants their wishes, essentially. Okay. What do you love most about this movie? Why is it your favorite? I think it's a strange element because all these women all of a sudden inexplicably fall in love with Jack Nicholson. Mm -hmm. And look, I know he's a charmer, but they all fall in love with him. And so they're actually making it work, Mm. all four of them, Mm. for a short time. Mm. And then they have to deal with what they have to do post that relationship. Mm. So that's really interesting. And there's just a lot of like magic in it. Mm. And I guess they discover that they're, they've had this inherent ability, this like, uh, what do you call it when something's like asleep? Like Latin? Yeah, Latin ability. They're actually witches. And they have to decide what they're going to use their power for. And it's just really fascinating. And I think it's just the cast is amazing. Mm. These three women. Jack Nicholson's great, but he also doesn't overtake. Mm. So it really is about these women. Okay. So it's like there's these weird. And then all of this stuff like put in one pot is Witches of Eastwick. Okay. Okay. Very cool. Very cool. Well, my favorite film of 1987 is The Princess Bride. Of course it is. It's everyone's, everyone's now, favorite. Now, I wasn't sure this was going to be the case until I rewatched it. Directed by Rob Reiner, starring Carrie Elwes, Robin Penn, uh, Robin Wright, I should say, Wallace Shawn, Andre the Giant, Mandy Patinkin, Billy Crystal, Carol Kane, Fred Savage, Peter Falk. Am I missing anybody? Probably. Uh, oh, yes, of course. Christopher Guest is in it, and Chris Sarandon as well, the the two primary villains. This film is everything, and it's so easy to forget how this film is everything. It's a great film for a child to watch, you know, because they're homesick. Maybe they have a family member who comes and reads them a story or something, right? But it's also a really great adventure story. It's a great love story. It's a great comedy. It's it's all these things. It's got a great, it's a great fantasy film. You know, oh, Mel Smith as the torturer. He's great as well. And so many quotable lines from this movie. And so many delightful characters. I mean, come on. Who hasn't heard Inigo Montoya's you know his, his his words that he plans on saying to the six-fingered man you know hello my name is indigo montoyo you killed my father prepare to die you know uh you have have fun storming the castle from you know <laughs> you know billy crystal That's he, cute. he's going you know he sees carrie l west he, apparently dead he said i've seen worse you know and wallace sean inconceivable you know just so many so many great things you know in this film it's so wonderful it's such a feel-good movie it's delightful it's warm it's enjoyable it's just it is everything and i'm glad that i revisited my criterion edition of this film because it reminded me all of what is great about this film you could totally be batman with a cold right now that's (laughs) (laughs) 
Very funny. Very funny. <laughs> no, but so, yes, the Princess Bride, above Predator, above Monster Squad, above everything else from 1987. A great year of all these movies I had to take into consideration. It is my favorite film of 1987. But what is your favorite movie of 1987? Feel free to email us at thegibsonreview at gmail.com. My goodness, that is going to do it for this episode of The Movie Lovers, an extra giant-sized family episode of The Movie Lovers. Totally in alignment with the 80s. <laughs> Wonderful. Uh, Shannon, before we talk about the next episode, share with everybody where they can find you on the internet. You can find me at Shanna underscore Paxton on Instagram. S-H-A-N-N-A. P-A-X-T-O-N. Very good. You can also find on Instagram, the Gibson 99 I post movie-related content on there, and, of course, the content related to the blog and the episodes. Go to Facebook uh, slash the Gibson Review to find us there and third-party links and such. Go to thegibsonreview.com. That's where everything comes from, of course. And on Flickchart, you can also go to the Gibson 99 to see and follow all the films I, all theatrically films uh, I have seen. Uh, but subscribe to this ep- uh, this series on iTunes, SoundCloud, or even Spotify now. Leave us reviews, follow us, whatever you can do to help more people discover this little movie chat uh, podcast. Next episode. I cannot believe this, Shanna, but the next episode is the big one. It is. It's finally here. Avengers Endgame. And then this weekend, it's Game of Thrones, as well as, I think, Sabrina, Chilling Adventures Uh, Season 2. So it's quite... And Handmaid's Tale this month, too. So it's quite the month. So you'll have quite the weekend review to talk about next time, too. So Uh, Perhaps. I don't watch Handmaid's Tale until it's all uploaded. Oh, gotcha. I don't do that to myself. So... The main event will be the main event of the season, Avengers Endgame. And we'll continue our march back through time with 1986 movies as well in film phase. So that is next time on The Movie Lovers. Expect that on April 30th. Until then, keep loving the movies. This is Jeff Hashanah saying bye-bye.